something triggered your anger, great. So take a moment with a song that really lets you be angry and unpack that and let that anger come up, fully experience that, somatically experience your anger, right? Do you want to do that? Because it'll flow away from you. It's quick, it's transient, and it'll leave if you allow it to. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a really cool and unique guest to share with you today. His name is Bill Protzman, and his volunteer work includes board positions with Guitars for Vets and the San Diego Veterans Coalition. He has been instrumental in connecting thousands of military service members and veterans with honor tickets to the largest healing organization involving music. He's also been online and you can read his articles in places like Fox News, Your Tango, The Good Men Project, Psychology Today, and PracticalHardSkills.com. For his foundational work establishing music as self-care, he received an Inspiring Hope Award of Excellence from the National Council for Behavioral Health. And you can find his latest book, More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization on Amazon and other retailers everywhere. Bill, welcome to the show. It is great to have you here. Dr. Richard, it's great to be here. Awesome day to do this. Let's make it happen. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about this because this is just such an interesting spin on self-care. So I'd love for you to share your story as how you got started with all of this because you've been doing stuff with veterans. You've taken music into self-care. You're looking at things in a different way than most people approach this issue. So talk to us about that. You know, we have therapy to thank for where I am right now. <laughs> so to be honest with you, Dr. Richard, there's nothing like the process of self-awareness. And I think in inspiring me to get to that place, I owe that to my therapists. They've been amazing. So as a musician, I've come along with a bunch of emotional experience because musicians, we make music with emotional content in it. And being able to do that at the piano is one thing. Being able to do that in real life when I don't have the piano around, that's something completely, a completely different skill set. And uh, thanks to delving deep into what it takes to be human in that way and to translate the skills that I have for finding and communicating big emotion at the piano into finding and communicating big emotion in real life with real people, I've been able to, to recognize that my behavioral health care started when I started playing. So my mom started me really young. And from that moment, I was giving myself, I was minding myself with music. I was giving myself that place of peace and the ability to be in safety with big emotion and all of that incredible content. That started the moment I started learning the piano and it's continued to today. So the ethos of bringing music to people in unusual situations sort of opened me up early on to the potential for maybe music could help people who are dealing with behavioral health issues the way that I do. 
And that, of course, includes veterans and at-risk people and all kinds of other folks who are in cubicles and just kind of stuck in there not knowing where they belong and how authentic to be and whether they can be vulnerable in safety and all those other great questions that we have today. So um, as a musician, the opportunity to engage people with that kind of self-care has been phenomenal, exciting, interesting, challenging, all of the above. It's just, it's a beautiful place to begin to engage with the stuff we all know that's all around us, the sound and rhythm, this music that's always in our background. Does that make any sense? It, it does. And it's really interesting because, you know, coming at this from the opposite side, as a psychologist who's clinically trained to work with people who are suffering emotional distress, one of the very first things that any clinician is taught in a graduate school setting is the importance of self-care, is the importance of taking care of yourself. And so it's interesting. It sounds like you were going through some challenges in adolescence and somehow you found your way to music. And that was something that started really helping you that, because self-care is different for every people. It's kind of like, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing, but music was your thing. And yet music is something that is so universally respected and, and are loved in every single culture. So this is really interesting. And I, and I want to dive a little bit more. Would you be willing to talk to us about the science of what you're doing? Sure. Uh, sound and rhythm have been out there for as long as we've been able to holler at each other and bang on logs. It's sort of fundamental to who we are. We're vibrational beings. Every single cell, atom, molecule inside our body is vibrating at some rate. And they've even, most recently, I read a study about how the strands in DNA are sort of held together by sound. They're held together by a vibrational energy that keeps them curled up. And that's, that's like remarkable to me. Hey, there's sound in space. They've got a sound now that they can assign to black holes. It's, there's this vibrational energy that we can't always hear, it's all around us. I mean, we see it as light, but music is where we can, uh, where we can listen to that stuff. And we're set up as organisms to respond well to sound. Somebody let, fires off a gun behind you and you're going you're gonna to respond. Without even thinking about it, your system is going to respond. You'll breathe faster. Um, the, there's a little pop of adrenaline. You become more alert. So physiologically, we respond really well to sound. Uh, the quiet sound of ocean waves or a forest around you. There's, there's ways that this changes our effect. Well-documented stuff. But when you get down to the nits and grits, I mean, neuroscience is using music as a stimulus to be able to measure what happens in our brain. It's that complex and that rich. So there's a lot going on there that is way, way more than just, oh, I heard something and it scared me. That's an amazing skill that we have. And it's one of those skills that's so fundamental. It's been around for hundreds of thousands of years. And we share it with many other creatures who have brains. We respond to things that trigger us to safety, trigger us to feed, trigger us to, um, to care for ourselves, trigger us to reproduce. These fundamental lizard brain kind of responses are where music works. It takes hundreds of times longer to think about it and go, oh, I heard a gun go off. And nope, it's not. It, I'm in a shooting range right now, so that shouldn't startle me. Everything's safe here. So our cerebral cortex, the thing that we like to be so proud of, engages a lot later than the lizard brain, which has already animated the rest of us to be prepared for whatever it is we need to prepare for. So as a musician, knowing that's pretty powerful. Because yes, a concert is a manipulation. The audience is there willingly. They want to hear the music and they want to go on the ride that the musician's going to give them. And if you put a program together well, you can take that ride from wherever it starts, right up a, to a peak and then drop back to a valley. Maybe you play a big ballad after a bunch of fast songs, and then you can ramp it up again to the big lighter. You know, everybody 
used to use lighters. Now we use cell phones. Lights up their lighter in the big stadium and you get this amazing candlelit kind of experience. Everybody's together in that. This, this ability to connect people, people want to be connected. Now musicians, we, we use this stuff to give audiences this incredible satisfying ride. And it's there in movies, it's there everywhere. Music is just this ubiquitous thing that's often in the background that is being used on purpose to help us move through either difficult situations or pleasant ones. It's an incredible animating force. What did I do on the physiology there? (laughs) I I would say A plus for sure. And and I love the description of of, uh, the lizard brain because really what most people don't realize is that prefrontal cortex is really what separates us from you know, lower creatures who are kind of running around and just doing things on instinct. But this makes a lot of sense to me, everything that you've said. And, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are nodding along at home saying that's, that's absolutely right. But now hearing that, for those of us that aren't musicians, talk to us about the, the, the $5 point here. How do we apply this into our own lives, Bill? Right. What a great question. We've sort of sidelined music. It's in the background. And just like the rest of us in America, we like to find experts for our healthcare or whatever. We like to find experts when it comes to music. So we pay a ton of money to go hear people who have been playing for a long, long time give us their expertise in the form of entertainment. I would love to see Paul McCartney. He was here not too long ago in San Diego. There's no way I could afford it. I would have gone and stood outside, you know, in the outside of the baseball park to hear what I could. But it's not necessarily up to you to find an expert every time you need care with music. You can put on your flat screen. We have such availability. Music has gone from almost impossible to control when there was mp3.com to a much more controlled burn now, but every musician's got something can be a part of it. It's so easy to contribute to the world's fund of music. And as a listener, it's so easy to obtain that music. And the key is using it. So rather than just putting it on in the background. I love having playlists running in the background, except when we're talking on podcasts, it's pretty easy to do. And that music can animate you all day long. But have you ever thought about taking music and using it for a purpose? And I like to ask people the $5 question. So what's your music for gratitude? You have a song that lets you feel grateful? If you think about it for a little while, you probably do. But if you don't, oh my gosh, once you have a song that connects you with how it feels to be grateful, your practice of gratitude becomes so much more authentic because the feeling that's triggered by that music is often the missing component when you want to say thank you and mean it. How many times have you been through the checkout line and and the checker is just checking out? So thank you, thank you. It's like, okay, yeah, well, that's fine. I heard the words, but it didn't have the, the feeling component. And I'd have to argue that if you really want to be effective in this world, you've got to bring your emotion to the table too. Regardless of whether that's, quote, negative or, quote, positive, that emotional component of you, the part of your lizard brain that fires you off and gets you ready for whatever it is, if you're stuffing that the way I did for years as an angry young man, it's going to leak out in ways and weigh you down in ways that you don't want. You want to be able to show up and be actually honest with who you are. And that includes your emotions as well. Emotional intelligence, eh, that's fine. I'm thinking about emotional engagement here. Because you know what it means if somebody looks you in the eyes and says, Dr. Richard, Thank you for that podcast. It really helped me. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. 
I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. This is really interesting. I, I, I'm hearing what you're describing about emotional engagement, and certainly you're, you're essentially talking about a, a technique that we know in the field as anchoring. And, and what you're doing is you are anchoring an effective state, an emotional feeling with a particular piece of music. And so I get that. And I think that's fantastic. But there's something else you said that I want to dive a little deeper, if you're willing. You mentioned that there was a period where you were an angry young man. And you did allude to earlier when we first started talking that music helped heal you. For, so for those listening to this and maybe they're stuck or maybe they've experienced something really horrible or even they're just really stressed out with their current life circumstances, talk to us about the healing aspects of music and then in particular, how to apply it. You know, music is this marvelous um, down-regulating influence. And I say down-regulating because I've seen people who are able to use music to relax, I think, as we all have. And I've also seen people who are dealing with um, schizophrenia, and they use music to come to a place that would be, for the, most of, for the rest of us, normal. So down-regulating is a way of being able to bring yourself to a, a less hyperactive place. And if you're somebody who's schizophrenic and you need to get to a normal place to deal with the rest of the world, music can do that for you. If you're somebody who's stressed out in the world and you need to relax, your downregulation with music can do that for you too. So uh, clearly as a musician, I became aware of this power and also for it to go the other way, to upregulate early on in my life. And when you're, uh, when you're learning to play the piano, as I did uh, as a classical piano player, there's a lot of stuff that you play. That's, let's face it, pretty boring stuff. But you do that. It's like you're paying your dues to get through to the place where you can play the interesting stuff. So music wasn't really doing anything for me for a lot of years. But when I discovered ragtime, it started to do something for me because all of a sudden I was able to play music that people wanted to hear. And there was this way of being able to fire up a room that was unique in some way to me. So I had seen by the time I was in fifth grade at this point, the difference between what it was like to play music that was boring to me and music that was exciting to me. And I realized there was this difference. There was this pull inside of me. There was this tension between up and down regulation inside me. And that played out for years and years and years. There's many ways that when you recognize tension, that it works in your life. But for me, thanks to therapy and a bunch of other things, I found myself at a place, and I'll fast forward a lot between fifth grade and the Labor Day weekend of 2007, where I felt sort of flat and done and complete. At that moment in my life, that Friday evening, I felt like I'd done it all. And there just wasn't a whole lot left to do, to live for, to make a mark, to, to be able to share anything. And I'd had good therapy. I mean, I could pick up the phone and call my therapist if I wanted to. There were friends around me. Everything was cool. And yet I felt empty. And, and that emptiness didn't come from anything that was missing. It just felt like, you know, here I am and I'm pretty much done. And I allowed myself to be with that emotion the way that I've allowed myself to be with emotions for a long, long time by playing some music. So I brought my emotional state, which was sort of 
just kind of flat and feeling like I'd checked all the boxes to this music that had been around for a long, long time for me, a simple piece of piano music by Rachmaninoff. And I said, you know, there's really probably no need for me to take my life tonight. I can always do it tomorrow. But for now, let's just be with this music. Just be with the music and see what happens. So I was aware that music worked on me at that moment. And I was curious to see how the music that I needed would work on me then. So I put on the headphones and sat in the chair and played it. And it was probably late in the afternoon. The sun was setting as I was sitting there. And something that was sort of surprising to me happened, and I'm not unfamiliar with grief, but I felt grief like I had never felt before. I had this sense of grief that was so profound, like some giant thing had happened that I needed to release, respond to. So I'm pretty familiar with grief. I, I didn't have any other anger or fear about that. I just had this overwhelming sense of being done, being complete in some way, but in a sad way, like leaving something behind. That was a moment where a lot of what I had been up to that point left me. It almost felt like death. And I want to say that in the spiritual sense, like when you're putting aside something that's, that's no longer useful, no longer serves you, and you don't know what you're going to put on next, but you're in that place and just saying, okay, this is enough. I must have sat in the chair for three or four hours and just weeping. And at one point, the most amazing thing happened. I, I found myself waking up. And, you know, I, for the first time, I really felt awake. I can't really explain it, but it, there's that awareness that something has shifted that went along with that moment. And I was wrung out. I mean, I, I was exhausted from the grief. And so I went to bed. And the next morning when I woke up, there were words in my head, which isn't unusual. There's words in my head a lot of the time. But the words in my head had the form of lyrics. And so I wrote them down. There were four verses and a bridge. And I'm like, this is crazy. These are lyrics. Where's the music? And then the music came. And I started writing the music down. And by noon, I had this complete song. And then, of course, being the musician that I am, I said, well, this is great. But I don't sing. So who's going to perform this thing? And I swear, like, I heard the words in my head. Bill, you are. And I did. I had a show coming up. And this song was the thing that unlocked the show for me, that made the content flow from one end to the other. This was in the middle. This was the glue. This dumb song that, that I've now performed a few times was the glue that made it work. And so the, I did the show, and people were surprised and all of that. But the, the bigger point of this was at that moment, I realized that not taking my life was the important lesson. It was important to feel it, but it wasn't important to act on it. And as I made that connection, I started to realize a bunch of other connections that the feeling of the music, the emotion in the music is the important thing. And you can take that as deep as you want. You can take that all the way to suicide. But if you're staying with the emotion without, the, without a requirement for action, and you have a practice of doing that, you're going to find amazing energy that wasn't there before. And I've realized that I've been practicing that since I first put my hands on the piano. So this is, this is deep stuff uh, on a number of levels. And what I, what I wanted to ask, if you could help somebody listening to this, I mean, this, this is a really powerful example where you were contemplating suicide. But 
for those of us that, again, aren't musicians, but are really wanting to find a way to connect with music, we, we can't all slap uh, brain imaging devices to our heads to see what's really resonating with us. What advice would you give for, for tracking and really helping determine what's, what's the music that can impact us in certain ways? You've probably seen that wheel of emotions that's out there. It's a kind of an oversimplification. But I've found that in general, people respond to fear, anger, sadness, and joy, four primary emotions, and that much of music tracks into fear, anger, sadness, and joy too. So as a person who grew up with a very narrow emotional range, but a wide emotional range when I was playing the piano, my sort of life work was to figure out how to translate those, quote, negative emotions that we don't like into something useful in life where I could apply them. And because of my musical experience, I've got songs for all of those four emotions and a bunch of others too. By putting a song behind fear, I can let myself feel that fear, release the negative charge from it, and then use the energy that's left for something good. Same thing with anger. And I didn't know this. I mean, I didn't realize I was an angry, angry young man until I was in my 30s. It took that long. But with a safe experience of anger, with an intentional safe experience of anger, gosh, there's so much you can do with that, provided that you can allow yourself to feel it. You can take anger to all kinds of places. It's great at football games. I mean, that's what the fight songs are all about. <laughs> um, anger and fear, are two great reasons, two great feelings behind why America was founded back in the day. Um, they weren't founded you know, out of war. They were founded because there was a new idea that came from our response to an old idea that wasn't working. And we got good and angry about it, and we did fight a war about it. But to put the framework together to carry that new idea forward, that's another. That's the, the sustaining impetus that came out of our anger as colonists of the UK back in the day. So there, there's lots of ways you can deploy these feelings, even though we think that they're, quote, negative. The trick, which is thanks to music, being able to feel them and engage with that energy Oh my gosh, you can do anything when you can engage with the energy in that way. So in summation for that, you're, you're suggesting finding four pieces of music, essentially, one for fear, anger, joy, and what was, what was the last one? Fear, anger, joy, what am I missing? Oh, how about sadness? Sadness, there we go. Okay, yeah, so yeah. a song for each of those, a song for those and attributing energy to those songs, listening to those songs, and, and then constructively being able to let the music help you kind of make sense of it, I guess. Is yeah, it does help you make sense of it. It feels more um, complete to have a practice that engages emotionally. Yeah, that, that does make sense. Now, Bill, I want to ask you something else because I, I've been wondering about this since we began our interview today. I know that you're doing this work with veterans and you're doing it on a larger scale. So I'm hearing that one-on-one, -on -one, essentially, people are going to find those songs that resonate with them and that they can uh, assign an emotion to. Talk, to. talk to us about how you've done this on a large scale. Oh, this is so cool. Uh, one of the classes that I teach for homeless people is about how to use music to engage with your emotion in, in support of what you have to do, whatever the tasks are. And one of the things that is very difficult for somebody who's homeless to do is sort of release all the, all the stuff that builds up. There's a lot of emotional baggage that you carry around when you're homeless. There's so much shame and there's fear and all that kind of thing. So uh, over about three weeks, the class and I went through a process of choosing four songs, which I like to call a silver bullet playlist, playlist to give you an experience of something. And, and the group decided we wanted to experience grief. So we were going to talk about grief. 
And then we began to assemble songs that would help support us in that. Everybody had a different sort of set of songs that worked, and we'd listen to them and figure out what was what. But the idea behind a Silver Bullet playlist is to take you up an emotional um, hill and then let you experience the peak of that and then come back to a neutral place. So there's a song that introduces it, a song that helps you up the hill, a song that is the peak experience, and then a song that releases that back to, <clears throat> back to neutral again. And over the course of about three weeks, the group sort of tailored their songs. And we found that we were choosing songs that were more about loss. So the Silver Bullet playlist wound up being not about grief, but about loss. You're homeless and somebody steals your shoes. That's huge. And obviously, to be on the street in the first place, there's a lot you've lost. So loss was an important thing, thing for people to engage with. Not for any linear purpose, but to be able to say, yes, I need to feel this loss so that it doesn't just sit there un- unresolved. And as we put the Silver Bullet playlist together, um, finally we got to a place on our third week where we were ready to listen to it all. And we did that with intention and just said, okay, here we are. We're going to spend some time now, maybe 20 minutes, engaging with four songs about loss and let them work on us and see if there's anything we can gain from that experience. Just completely opening the question. Now, I knew where we were going, of course, but they hadn't yet experienced it. So we did that, invoked the playlist, let it play. And then um, tied it off nicely at the end with sort of a, a, a resolution saying thank you for these, this music. Well, not a dry eye in the house. Everybody got it. Everybody had the emotional journey that was necessary to unpack just a little bit more of what we're carrying around all the time in mm. safety. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. Now, get this. Here's the cool scientific part about this is once you practice a song for a purpose, whether that's wiggling your fingers at the piano or playing guitar or just listening to it, Oh yeah, that's that's our song. That's our love song, right? Everybody has a love song. Whether you when you practice it that way, remembering the song will have the physiological effect. So the emotional content for that silver bullet playlist is available once you practice it instantly for anyone who learns the playlist or likes the songs or whatever it is. You can you can probably think right now of a love song and you'll feel that emotion in you. Or you can feel a song that makes you like energized, upregulated, you can feel that happening to you physiologically. And maybe it's like ASMR, whatever that skin crawling thing that you get, or maybe it's like tears that come to your eyes, you remember your mother and her favorite song, or whatever. You know, it's the, it's the song you run to. You can feel that energy coming before you actually put on the song, you're ready to go for your run. That amazing ability that we have, that human beings have, to connect with the emotion without having to hear the whole thing, you can practice that and deploy it, obviously. And that's the trick, is to be able to have it practiced so that when you need that emotion, whether it's gratitude or loss, you have access to it. And you can come to the table with it authentically. I love it. I I think that's fantastic and profound. I I do want to shift before we run out of time here and talk a little bit about your book, More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization. Now, that would suggest that we're taking the work involving music into a corporate setting. So share with us the work you're doing there. And, and for those listening to this who are in an organizational setting, particular, particular leaders, what, how this book can be helpful for them. So you can probably guess that there's a level of authenticity to a spiritual best practice. And by spiritual best practice, I simply mean things like gratitude and appreciation and authenticity and all those other things that business tells us are good for business now. It's really good to, be, to have integrity in business. It's really good to have customer service that actually sounds like they care about you. These are good practices. So those practices all come from the human spirit. 
And yeah, you can have good or bad on that. I have no doubt that Bernie Madoff was very effective and very, you know, uh, he was able to do a lot of great stuff, but his human spirit wasn't pointed in a direction that avoided the pyramid scheme. So, you know, you do have to make some choices here, but we're talking about things that are innate to us. It is innate to be kind. And to pull ourselves up to a level of self-actualization, you can't get there by being unkind. It won't work. <laughs> you know, you're, you're at cross purposes. So we're talking about things that are built in, spiritual best practices, because why? Well, science hasn't explained that yet, but we're working on it. We're getting there. Eventually, we'll be able to explain why gratitude is so much better than not, scientifically. But we all know it is. I mean, it's like self-evident. So this little book is about taking self-evident practices and deploying them at scale in business, in organizations, because they work. And how do you do that? What do you need to do, nuts and bolts-wise, to make that stuff part of what you do? Does your mission statement have anything in it that, re- that resonates on a spiritual best practice? And oftentimes, that's a challenge. But most of the time, people get it right away because it's self-evident and we all want to be that way. So this, this book is an attempt to sort of soften the hard edge of business in a way that is both evidence-based and intrinsic to who we are to leverage that in ways that will set us off, not just 10x, but exponential x from the competition, if you will. And you know what? Competition itself is one of those things that's sort of dying out as collaboration becomes more and more accepted. And collaboration is our tribal way of doing things. That's how we do things. We work together. We don't necessarily compete, you know, and we've seen where competition has gotten us. So yes, there's a musical component because as we talked about things like gratitude, if you've got a song for gratitude, and your job is being like, you know, in HR, and you can't deploy gratitude authentically, well, that's got to be a tough place to be. Hmm. I love this. And, and I, I think exponential X is something that we should trademark and get into right away. Because yeah, <laughs> if you're listening and want it, go for it, because it's, that's where oh, we need to so go. so funny. Uh, I, 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 in all seriousness, no, I... I love this. I think that this makes a lot of sense. And it's something that we are seeing a shift in, in business more towards purpose-driven rather than profit-driven, but this further accentuates that. So I'm grateful that you talked to us about that. Bill, this has been a really, really interesting interview, and I'm so grateful you came on our show. I, I wanted to take a minute. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest their biggest helping, and that is the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today. Oh, golly. I have been thinking about this. The answer, I think, is to remove the negative and positive from emotion, to remove that connotation. Emotions are just guardrails on our road. And they're and at the basic core of them, they're just brain chemistry. And it's going to come and go. It's going to be turned on and off. And to stuff that, like, oh, no, I can't be too angry. Well, keep your game face on. But that emotion's there for a reason. And it's there to get your attention and to give you information. And if, like me, you stuff those for almost 30 years before I started to unpack my anger, it's not so good. <laughs> That's not great practice. But music gives us a safe way of experiencing that. And yes, something triggered your anger, great. So take a moment with a song that really lets you be angry and unpack that and let that anger come up, fully experience that, somatically experience your anger, right? Do you want to do that? Because it'll flow away from you, just like all the other emotions. It's quick, it'll, it's transient, and it'll leave if you allow it to. Well said. I love that. Bill, where can people find you? Easiest way is quest.musiccare.net. Quest because it is Q U E S T music care because that's what 
self-care using music is all about net because, hey, it's a network of people who want to do this, including you and I. Beautiful. And for those of you at the gym or in the car, no worries, we've got you covered. Everything that Bill's been talking about in terms of links will be available at thedailyhelping.com and his show notes page and in the Daily Helping app available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Bill, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed it. You're so welcome, Dr. Richard. (laughs) If I can speak anymore, I want to say thank you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, and thank you, listeners. Absolutely. And and thank you, listeners. Indeed, if you like what you heard, go subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 